1: It is Thursday, March 17th, and you're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. My name is Blair Angulo. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope everyone's enjoying the beginning of March Madness, the first slate of games this Thursday. I've got National Recruiting Editor Brandon Huffman on the line to break down some Pac-12 storylines in college football recruiting as we head into the spring. We've been working our way from East to West uh, along those Power 5 conferences, and Huff, some would say we're saving the best for last
0: absolutely and you know while we're at it considering that the west coast is the premier basketball region in the country and we're all part of the CBS family lance play that beautiful intro music
1: Uh, Yes, yes. The sweet, sweet sounds. It is St. Patrick's Day. So let's kick off with the first storyline. Let's go a little green here. Uh, let's talk Oregon Ducks. Everyone is talking about Dan Lanning, the job he was able to do at Georgia as the defensive coordinator, as well as his recruiting power, his his recruiting efforts and the energy that he, he put into recruiting, building that, that stacked defensive unit for the Bulldogs. He's trying to bring that same mentality over to Eugene, helping Oregon maybe rechange their identity and kind of maybe find a a different method to winning football games. But I I think what's being overlooked, at least from a national perspective, is how stacked his recruiting staff is, right? And this is an assistant coach or previously an assistant coach who knows what it takes to land big time recruits. And he's really lined himself up with with some coaches that are going to be trying to outdo each other on the recruiting trail.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just going to be on his own staff trying to outdo each other. You've got a couple of former conference recruiters of the years and Demetrius Martin and Adrian Clem, both were former Pac-12 recruiters of the year. You have Tasha Poy, who was the national recruiter of the year when he was at Alabama. So you've got coaches on that staff that have a penchant for recruiting, that have done it previous stops, that have done it at multiple stops. And I think when you have a staff like that, sometimes you tend to get a reputation of well, how are these guys as X's and O's guy? They have a lot of really good recruiters, but do they have any good coaches? Well, yeah, a lot of these guys have spent time in the NFL. They spent time coordinating various aspects of their offense or the defense when they were in college. You know, Tasha Poi was the defensive coordinator when Alabama made to the national championship game. Obviously, Dan Lanning himself has defensive coordinator chops. So there's enough X's and O's there too, but it, this staff is definitely heavy with recruiters who have a great reputation have ties seemingly everywhere around the West Coast. And I think this last weekend, we we saw it in January when they had a big visit weekend for official visitors, but then had a number of underclassmen. Then again, this weekend, they're, they're one of the only schools I think that had 22 official visitors in this last weekend. and They had two of them. Plus a good chunk of unofficial visitors. So being confident enough to balance all of those visitors in one weekend shows you got a, a staff that can recruit.
1: Oregon with one early commitment so far in the twenty twenty three class from Cole Martin. He's a four star corner from the state of Arizona and the son of defensive backs coach Demetrius Martin. Uh, you know, obviously he's trying to kind of recruit prospects uh, to go alongside him, and for him to be the first player to join the Ducks recruiting class was was a big thing for him. I think what I'm going to be interested to see is how aggressive Oregon is and trying to lock in commitments this summer, uh, heading into the the season, trying to lock up, uh, some prospects. Uh, I think landing has, uh, a way of being able to recruit from a position of power and saying, hey, listen, look at what I just did at Georgia and you want to join this before things fill up. And that's been kind of a, a problem for Oregon in previous classes. I feel like they've been filling up classes maybe a little too early, maybe waiting a little bit too long on some some other prospects. Um, I, I think that's going to be the interesting part to see how they are able to juggle different position groups and know and address certain needs uh, on, that, on that recruiting class. I think it's going to be very pivotal. Obviously, that first class is always a big one for any head coach. Let's move on from that first year head coach to the next one. That would be Lincoln Riley at USC, another storyline to monitor in the Pac-12 heading into the spring. And We all know that USC is going to recruit at a USC level at the skill positions. We've brought this up in the previous episodes of this podcast, as well as on on the West of the Rest Huff. They have three five-stars already in this class. They lead the country in five-star commitments. That would be Malachi Nelson, the quarterback from California, Makai Lemon, the the wide receiver from California, as well as Zach Branch, the number one receiver in the composite out of Bishop Gorman in Vegas. I think the biggest question is: Can USC get back to recruiting the offensive line, the defensive line? That's where these games are going to be won for Lincoln Riley and, and that staff. Now they bring in two new assistants, Coach Henson along the offensive line, Coach Sean Nua uh, over on the defensive side of the ball. So those two are trying to familiarize themselves with USC, but they bring decent pedigree, not only in development but also in evaluations and in in kind of their recruiting effort. I think if you USC is able to shore up, shore up what they can do on the defensive side, on the offensive side, and really take their next step in the trenches, then we're really talking about a potential college football playoff contender.
0: I think one of the, the most overlooked aspects of what USC has done from a, a staff standpoint is you have a good chunk of those coaches that have been with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. But let's not ignore what Josh Henson did as a recruiter. At Texas A&M, I mean, you look at Texas A&M's offensive line class, they've got three or four really good guys in this class that Henson himself was pretty much responsible for, whether it was getting, you know, the, the early commitment from Hunter Earth, uh, obviously Mark Naboo out of Seattle that they were able to, to flip from Washington and to get him. USC was actually right in the mix for him as well. Prior to Henson's departure, Cam Dewberry, you know, a big part of the reason that he picked Texas A&M early on was because of Josh Henson. So, From a recruiting standpoint, Henson had his fingerprints heavily on the number one rated class in college football history, at least according to the 24-7 rankings. I know the defensive line gets all the attention at Texas A&M, but let's not ignore what Josh Henson did. So now you bring Josh Henson to the West Coast and you bring him to a staff where maybe he's a bit of an outsider with a lot of that Oklahoma flavor on the offensive side of the ball, but where he's going to fit in and mesh very nicely is his ability to recruit. And it wasn't just in the state of Texas. Uh, I think, you know, Mark Nabu, he was a high three-star. He was, I think, the second lowest rated position player in Texas A&M's class, but they beat Washington. They actually got an official visit from him after he had committed to Washington. He had Michigan and other Pac-12 schools in it. And then Henson was able to get it. So if he's doing that at Texas a and with the West Coast kid, now imagine him trying to sell these West Coast kids on USC and their return to glory and their return to dominance. And so, you know, you, you look at what Oklahoma did with Bill Beddenbaugh the offensive line coach when Lincoln Riley was there. Lincoln Riley's no fool. He knows that offensive line recruiting is going to have to be a key. And when you look at what Oregon has done, Done with adding Adrian Clem to their arsenal of coaches as an offensive line recruiter. USC needed to counter that and getting Josh Henson is a nice piece to that puzzle there where I think if if Texas A&M had that success that he did there, he's only going to see it blow up out on the West Coast, especially with Mario Cristobal on the other side of the country. It's going to be interesting to watch the Henson-Clem battles these next couple of years, but I like what Henson's been able to do staying in the game. Clem's coming back into it after being in the NFL for a few years, but I think Henson's going to be kind of that that ace in the hole wild card that USC fans really need to start to appreciate.
1: Yeah, and and I think having ties throughout the, the country uh, with both Henson and Nua along the trenches it is going to be very pivotal because as we know, Huff, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, they don't grow out on trees out here on the West Coast. We don't really have a lot of trees in certain places, but they don't even, I mean, it's it's really tough to find that generational five-star offensive lineman. I mean, they only come around every few years uh, out West, so programs like USC have to go out to other parts of the country and it's going to be pivotal for them to be able to do that in this class and possibly beyond as as they continue to build uh, some success there in Los Angeles. After the break, we're going to discuss the next couple storylines in the Pac-12 heading into the spring. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
1: We are back on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, looking at the potential storylines or the big talking points heading into the spring in the Pac-12 Conference. I'm joined by Brandon Huffman, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports, and recently got to spend a weekend at home, which was very rare. Huff, can you, I know people want to be a recruiting analyst. I think that's a, a, it's a big game. Uh, I, I think a lot of, uh, you know, there, there's, I think there, there's a misconception that's a glamour job, but you've, I mean, you've been hitting the road hard.
0: Yeah, it was a weekend at home and it resulted in a 12-hour camp about an hour and a half north of me on Saturday and then a seven-on-seven tournament about an hour south of me for about six hours on Sunday. So while I didn't have to stay in a hotel, it was another weekend of the grind. This weekend coming up, I'll have my first weekend without an event of any sort since Christmas weekend. So I got to just be a dad this weekend. My son's baseball team, his high school baseball team is playing. It's, uh, I guess it's now called T-Mobile Park. It used to be called Safeco Field. What I do know is I'm not going to see any world championship banners hanging in that stadium when I arrive on Saturday, but it's still a major league baseball park. But yeah, it's a grind. I mean, people say, oh, we must have some downtime now that the season's over. No, 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 no. The downtime is the season because... There aren't any events to go to. They're just high school games. It's a, trust me, I may look all great and like I have it all together and I'm in great shape and just look like I'm handling the grind, but trust me, folks, it is not for the week.
1: Yeah, very cool. Uh, T-Mobile Park, a great ballpark, and I'm sure your son's going to enjoy being able to play in that in that stadium. I I got a chance to play at a Dodger Stadium a few years ago, and that was eye opening just how massive it is. Uh, so he's a high school player. It's going to be fun to to kind of see that. I, I hope I'm able to see maybe some video of uh, you know a couple couple dingers out there from from young from young Huff. Let's move on to the next topic. <laughs> let's let's talk uh, a little bit of Utah. Huff. They are coming off of the. <coughs> (coughs) the Pac-12 championship. They're coming off of an appearance in the Rose Bowl where they actually showed really well against Ohio State. That was uh, maybe one of the most exciting Rose Bowls that I could remember in the last decade or so. Um, And they, I mean, it was neck and neck there and they they had a really good chance to, to pull that game off. Now you look at maybe the kind of the effect that you see in recruiting, right? The Whether or not they're going to be rewarded, whether they're able to get into some living rooms that maybe they weren't able to get to coming off of that first appearance in Pasadena, coming off the Pac-12 championship. We got a little hardware there. Obviously, there's stability with Kyle Whittingham at the top, but obviously Morgan Morgan scally has been rumored to be the head coach in waiting for such a long time. So I, I think we already know the identity of that program. We know uh, the brand that they produce, Now I'm curious to see how recruiting changes for the Utes. Every year, it seems like they are able to be a little bit selective or a little bit more methodical than other programs in terms of extending offers, in terms of taking commitments, uh, having official visitors on campus. They always wait until closer to that early signing period to really close the deal on a lot of recruits. Now, does does it change coming off of of a really successful 2021 do they maybe add a different dimension to their formula and try to lock in a couple big time commitments early on in the cycle? That's one thing I'm really curious about with the youth heading into the spring.
0: You know, if you look at Utah, I think this is everything that they built for. When they joined the Pac-12 in 2011, this was the moment that they've been waiting for, that opportunity to play at the Rose Bowl. Yes, they were the first BCS buster for a non-BCS conference school when they went to the Fiesta Bowl after the 04 season. Then they went to the Sugar Bowl and beat Alabama. But it wasn't until they won the Pac-12 South, what was in 2018, where people started to take Utah kind of seriously on a national scale. Then in 2019, they were in the playoff mix all the way until the very last weekend of the regular season when they played Oregon, the Pac-12 championship game, ultimately lost and Oregon went on to the Rose Bowl, which they won. Then Utah had to wait for the, the kind of topsy-turvy 2020 season. Then 2021, it gets off to a bad start and it ends with them, you know, tied in the Rose Bowl with two minutes left in the game that they had been playing for, for 10, 11 years that right there was the culmination of what Kyle Whittingham has built at Utah. He has done just about everything you could possibly do at Utah, save winning a Rose Bowl, he's had him in playoff contention, now recruiting we really saw with that 2020 class when they flipped Clark Phillips at the last minute from Ohio State, when they were able to flip Van Fillinger from Texas, when they got Xavier Carlton, who had all 12-pack 12 offers, ultimately he left school uh, but they were able to get him in and now you look at these last couple classes getting Lander Barton, getting those in-state kids And, and really to me that's been the key thing for Utah is now instead of losing every Every Sewell brother that that's been recruited right out of high school, sure they got one back uh, out of the portal. But you know they had a hard time keeping those top kids in state, and now it seems like maybe they're not getting that number one guy, but they're getting two, three, four, five, six. And, and Larry, having covered Utah specifically, uh, like you have for the last few years, you're seeing the in-state impact they're making now. They're still recruiting nationally. They, I put in a crystal ball earlier this week uh, for Jabari Johnson, the four-star quarterback out of Washington who has an offer from the hometown Huskies, but he felt a mix and, and a match with Utah when he went out there and was unofficial. official player. You're covering the state of Utah specifically. You're seeing how those in-state kids are now not looking to get out of state, but they're looking to stay home and flourish with the Utes.
1: Yeah, I, I think for the longest time, those prospects in the state of Utah were always looking outside the state because the opportunity was better. Right, you, you would go out there to to maybe win a Pac-12 championship or to compete in the SEC or to go and 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 you know obviously be developed to play in the NFL. You don't need to do that anymore if you stay home. That's the pitch that Utah has right now. You're coming off of a Pac-12 championship. You've been building a, a really a program that's very consistent in developing NFL talent. Um, you know I think of a Sewell who went up to Oregon obviously that's a unique circumstance because he's uh, going up there to to be coached by Mara Cristobal and Alex Mirabal and guys that have a track record of developing players and obviously it paid off for him. he's a number what number seven overall pick in the draft a few years ago. but even like the like Cameron Latu who you know was an edge rusher coming out of high school there in Salt Lake City, goes out to Alabama you know undergoes a position change. He's now a tight end, you know, catching touchdown passes during the college, you know, football national championship game. Like that, that was the example in the past. Now we're seeing Utah kind of flip the tables and really focus on locking up those prospects, locking, locking in those players. And when you're competing against the likes of BYU, who, by the way, is now going to be in the, in the big 12 and you don't have that power five, uh, you know, recruiting pitch to, to hang over their head in, in, in those recruiting battles in state, they are, I think. Putting that into hyperdrive and really emphasizing the need to keep some of those top talented prospects home. I have a couple uh, early crystal ball picks in the state of Utah Hunter Clegg and Smith Snowden. I like where the youth sit for both of them, um, anticipating that they will make their decisions heading into the season. So, uh, you know, possibly Utah could have a little bit of momentum heading into the 2020 campaign. Let's move on to Washington Huff. Uh, Your neck of the woods, Kalen DeBoer comes in from Fresno State. And for the longest time, I think we've wondered, you and I, what the approach would be Uh, how many resources do you put out there for regional recruiting? Uh, How much effort do you put in with the local high schools and locking up uh, the state of Washington? That's been a big, big point of emphasis for these other coaches that possibly couldn't do it. I know Jimmy Lake tried at times, but was criticized, I think rightfully so, for not being able to really connect with the local recruit. What do you sense that Kalen DeBoer will try to do this spring?
0: Well, I think he is going to try to really emphasize those local prospects. And I thought we saw that a little bit in the last couple of weeks where instead of bringing all the in-state recruits in for a junior day, they use junior day to kind of Showcase the uh, the program to out of state kids, out of state programs. But they've been trying to use the middle of the week, and they did it two weeks ago where they had Caleb Presley and Jabari Johnson. Sure, I did say I put in a crystal ball for Jabari Johnson to Utah, but Washington is giving it a valiant effort. They brought in Caleb Presley, the top cornerback in the Northwest. They're still making a run at Jaden Wayne. The problem is in recruiting, as we've seen these last few years, the relationship builds so much earlier now. So when these coaches come in, yeah, they're trying to shore up 2022, but other schools have had 6, 9, 12, 18 months with relationships with these players. And so the coaches have the hometown advantage, but they're coming from behind when it comes to the relationship aspect of it. So I think that they're wise to try with the 2023s, but really ramp it up at the 24s and the 25s because the 2023s, they have been taking trips all over the country since the dead period ended last June. And at that point, this staff was still at Fresno State or a good chunk of that staff was still at Fresno State. So they're, they're balancing it by still making an effort at the 2023s, but also knowing they are playing catch up in a lot of it. So you've got to make those moments more one-on-one appropriate make them more of the hey you don't we don't want it to be 150 guys here in a big show we want it to be you your family, and our coaching staff to tell you why this is the best place for you. And I think, you know, Washington fans, a little bit, there was a little bit of panic this week when the, the crystal ball went in for Johnson, even though he got an offer from the more staff. But uh, again, remember, Utah offered Johnson a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. He's had that relationship with Andy Ludwig since the fall of 2020, instead of since with Ryan Grubb, since January of this year. So, that's where the relationship part is key. But I think Washington, is smart in building those relationships. So in future classes, that doesn't become an issue. I think they're going to be fine. I think, you know, having had the junior day in January, having had multiple visitors come up the previous two weekends, they're building some momentum, but I think it's going to take that first in-state recruit. And reality is they're still not out of the mix for Josh Connerly. There is another possibility that Josh Connerly visits later this week for another unofficial after having been there last week. If they can get Josh Connerly to wrap up the 2022 class, then I kind of think all bets are off in 2023 because that might be the cool kid – Choosing the school that opens the floodgates for a lot of the other in-state kids.
1: Yeah, Washington will be trying to have success in the first year under Coach DeBoer, and and a program that had success under a first-year coach was Arizona in the in the 2021 uh, cycle, or, and and obviously leading into the 2022 recruiting class. Jed Fish, what will he do for an encore? That's another storyline we're going to monitor this spring.
0: I think with Jed Fish, we've seen the ability to recruit and truly put it into words that hey, we need all the help we can get. You, you hear all the time, Blair, when we talk to recruits, hey, I could be the guy that, that helps build that program. But I think when players watched Arizona this last year, their only win was over a depleted Cal team that I think was missing 25 guys. And it still was a nail biter. I think a lot of recruits say, oh my gosh, he's not joking and he's not lying when he says, I could come in and play early. And I think that's why their class did so well. But now it's year two. Okay, now you got to start showing some signs of life and continue that. And is there a concern that you signed so much talent in the previous class that other guys are going to say, hey, you might there might be a little bit of a traffic jam at that position. But for having a one-win season, I think what Arizona did was nothing short of miraculous. And to flip T-Mac at the last minute to Tori McMillan was obviously huge for Arizona. And I think it, it legitimized, legitimizes and validates Jed Fish's approach. But uh, again, you know, and we've seen this, we talked about this before, with Arizona, A lot of players leave the state, but a lot of those players don't stay in state. But I think that they've had in the last year and a half since Fish took over somewhere of nearly double digits players that were from Arizona, went to other schools and then transferred back on the portal. You talk to the kids in Arizona. Can Arizona keep those kids instead of having to get them on the rebound?
1: Yeah, and a lot of them have been going out to campus and taking visits, and uh, they that staff is doing a phenomenal job of targeting the in-state prospects. Matthew Kloppenstein, a four-star tight end, was out there earlier this week. He told me he loved it. He loves the energy. He loves kind of the environment that they're building there. And obviously, he he emphasized that the pr- the program has a lot of work to do, but obviously, it's it's a big thing uh, for for them just to know, hey, you know, you can come in and help us and be a hometown hero. So Arizona is going to be one to watch for sure this spring. A lot of other stuff to to monitor over at. 247 sports.com. As we cover the latest recruiting news on your favorite college football team. You could also catch me and Huff over on the West of the rest podcast every Monday here on this podcast feed, a lot to watch Huff. I know you're not going to be on the road. I know you're not going to be at an event, um, you know, the field formerly known as Safeco field this weekend, but a lot to, to watch spring training. You got the NCAA tournament. It's going to be a lot of fun to, you know, kind of track and monitor all this stuff.
0: Better been a better time of year to have normalcy than 2022 with real NCAA tournament games and real spring training games with fans.
1: And you can track all the recruiting news, like I said, on your favorite college football team over at 247sports.com. For Brandon Huffman and our producer Lance Glynn, I am Blair Angulo. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting
0: Podcast.